Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan, and today on The Detail, the meteoric rise and precipitous fall of one of New Zealand's share market darlings. The share price of the dairy company A2 Milk has taken another battering this morning as it downgraded sales forecast for a third time and said it's reviewing its strategy. Between 2017 and 2020, A2 Milk's share price rose more than 900%. But over the past 13 months, it's fallen by nearly 75%. So what's caused this company's fortunes to yo-yo around so much? And what does it tell us about the fragile fortunes of firms who hitch their wagons to a single market? an unusual um, distribution channel, while it can be very powerful, you've got to keep an eye on it because it can end up, end up being your greatest weakness. That is Sam Dickey, a senior portfolio manager at Fisher Funds. And more on that unusual distribution channel, the Daigu channel, soon. But first I asked him to tell me a bit about the company itself. Look, it was formed back in 2000 as a biotech company and started off as a company licensing their A2 technology. They started off by selling liquid milk, but then the, the big change came in 2012, 2013 when they launched A2 Platinum Infant Formula, um, particularly for sale in the Chinese market, and that's when the company really took off. Mm. Can, can you explain, like, what is A2 Milk? What is different about that? Taking a step back, casein is the largest group of proteins in milk, um, making up about 80% of total protein content. And there's several types of casein. Beta casein is the second most prevalent. Um, and the two most common forms of beta casein are A1 beta casein. And that comes from breeds of cows like Frisian cows. I'm a dairy farmer originally, so I know what a Frisian cow is. It's basically a black and white cow. Sure. <laughs> um, and the A2 beta casein comes from cows like Jersey cows, for example. And regular milk contains both of those, but A2 milk contains only the A2 beta casein. And some scientific research, I don't want to overhand that, shows that humans digest A1 and A2 proteins differently. And consumers with dairy intolerances can drink A2 milk and experience less inflammation and discomfort. Okay, so essentially the point of difference for A2 milk is that some scientific research suggests that people who are lactose intolerant or may be more likely to be lactose intolerant can drink it without experiencing the same lactose intolerant side effects. Is that pretty much the story? Well, not so much lactose intolerant because I think if you're lactose intolerant, you're lactose intolerant. Mm. But if you're not lactose intolerant but still have problems drinking milk, um, you can potentially drink A2 milk or A1 beta casing free milk better. But I mean, again, the science is, is interesting and varied, but what's probably most important here is this company morphed from becoming a driven by science to one driven by brand, um, particularly when it launched in China. Yeah, okay. So let's talk about A2 and China. So the, the key date here is what, 2012, 2013, you say. So what happened around that time? So they, uh, well, so 2007 was a big year as well. Um, They formed a JV with Freedom Foods in Australia, so it evolved from just sort of taking royalties to developing its own brand and controlling its own destiny. And that's the same year that Keith Woodford published his book, Devil in the Milk. So that outlined the issues with the A1 beta casing um, that we sort of briefly talked about before. 
And then in two, you skip forward to 2012, 2013, and, and bearing in mind up until that point, it was selling liquid milk, primarily into New South Wales and Australia, because it didn't actually start selling liquid milk into New Zealand until till recently. And then in 2012, 2013, it lit, launched its infant formula product, mm-hmm. which is H2 Platinum. And it struggled to get traction for a couple of years. And then in late 2015, sales absolutely took off. Specialist milk and infant formula maker A2 Milk says it's finding it a challenge to keep up with demand for its infant formula, which has seen it almost double its full-year earnings forecast. The company is now expecting an operating profit of $22 million for the year to June. That's compared with a previous forecast of $12 million and certainly well ahead of last year's result of just $3.1 million. And to give you a bit of context there, in 2014 it had basically no revenue from A2 Platinum infant formula and six years later, it was generating about $1.5 billion in infant formula revenue. So that's out, outside of its liquid milk. And that is, that, that's almost entirely spurred by its rise in China, correct? Correct. A2 Platinum infant formula basically equals China. So this is fascinating. So A2 is sort of sauntering along. It's doing its business. It's doing all right. Um, I think July 2016, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing here its share price is hovering just below $2. One year later, July 2017, it's doubled to about $4. July 2018, it's up close to $11. And by <laughs> July 2020, the share price is more, more than $21. So it's gone from $2 to over $21 in four years. How did that happen? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it actually really started in, if you look back to kind of November 2015. Mm. So they launched that product. Um, they were getting some revenues from that product in China in sort of 2014, 2015. And they had their August result, you know, for the June, June half year end or June year end. And sales were not that impressive. But then they had their uh, AGM update. So typically that's in November for companies that report in August. And that though that particular four months, we really saw um, revenue take off, and the stock was trading at kind of seventy-five cents before the AGM, and then sort of shot up to a dollar twenty-five, and then spiked up to that two-dollar level. And from then on, it just that those sales really ramped. And what happened in particular is the company was extremely successful tapping into the Daigu sales channel and that channel really drove the success of A2 certainly initially anyway. Explain what that is what is the, the Daigu channel what is that? Well I mean Daigu the literal translation of, of Daigu is I think is, is buying on behalf of so if, when we think about A2 it's people who live outside of China and in this case mainly in Melbourne and Sydney and often Chinese students buying A2 product off bigger sort of corporate Daigu and sending it back to China and then selling that primarily via channels like WeChat. And and that's an extremely powerful channel if managed well because it is largely free marketing. So think about it. You've got tens of thousands of ambassadors running around and pushing your brand um, so your marketing costs are very low. So the profitability of the product as well, not only were sales exploding, but profit was absolutely exploding because the profitability is very, very high. As an example of how the Daigu channel might work, let's say you live in China, you've got a hundred grand to sort of play with, you fly over to Melbourne, you meet with someone from A2, you buy up a hundred grand's worth of A2 formula, you take it back to China, you know that you can double your money selling that on 
WeChat. Is that pretty much how it would work? Yeah, I mean, that suitcase trade you're kind of talking about, Mm -hmm. where people were actually physically travelling back, that was much more in the early days. It it became much more sophisticated in the last few years, and it's, it's primarily people living outside of China, so Chinese students living in Australia. So they live in Melbourne and they live in Sydney. And to get extra money, they were using their contact networks back in China and sending that product back to them. So that suitcase trade was, was early days, but then it became more sophisticated. It, it was driven by a few master daigu or corporate daigu who would have a whole host of smaller corporate daigu and then smaller, you know, literally students who were packaging this stuff up and sending it back. And the, the reason they were so keen to do this was, well, the brand was on fire and it was taking off in China, but also... A2 always managed its pricing structure really carefully so that these Daigu always made a very healthy gross margin per tin. Because mm. someone listening to that description of how Daigu trade works might well think to themselves, how on earth is that legal? <laughs> well, it, it, um, it, it used to be called the grey trade, I think it was called, and it, uh, the Chinese government cracked down on you know, that that sort of trade probably two or three years ago now, primarily because a lot of people were dodging tax with it and it became a lot more corporatized. This happened back in 2018, 2019. So it was was all legal. Um, These things, the product went through free trade zones, they were taxed and it was sort of packaged up. So if if you had one small student doing a little bit of product, they would go to one of the gift stores, for example, and we packaged up with a lot of other products and sent through the appropriate channels. Mm. Mm. This is interesting, I guess, because like, while this trade route may have grown in sophistication and may be sort of you know pretty much a legit operation now, it does feel intuitively like a kind of flimsy main route to market for a big company, particularly when something like a global pandemic comes along. Is that what's really screwed over A2 here? Over. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a it's, there's a series of um, events and, and missteps. And you did right though. I mean, it's it's greatest strength this powerful channel, this powerful profitable channel, with tens of thousands of ambassadors working for you, became its greatest weakness. They've slashed their guidance, their uh, sales guidance and revenue guidance again this week, and now they're now expecting 1.2 billion to 1.25 billion of sales, um, and they revise, keep just keep revising it down. Really, they revised it down last year. They've already revised it down a couple of times this year. So now everybody is wondering: Is this really the bottom? The shares are now down about 70 percent since last August, and have wiped off about 11 billion from its market cap. The market is not liking at all what it is hearing or seeing from A2. The problems perversely were actually triggered by exceptionally strong demand. I mean, much stronger than normal. If you remember back to the early stages of COVID in January, February 2020, um, China went through COVID a little bit earlier than us or started into COVID. And Chinese mothers were nervous they were not going to be able to get enough A2 product. So they began panic buying. And I just want to give you a kind of quick, simple reminder here about how powerful inventory stocking and destocking is. So if you think about just one mother in Beijing um, who normally kept two tins of A2 platinum in her pantry, she was panicked into thinking she might not be able to get enough of the product because of you know COVID supply chain restrictions. So she might increase that her stash to six tins, mm-hmm. so two to six. 
And you've got to remember that the manner, and you times that obviously by by millions of mothers in China, and remember the manufacturer and, and whole distribution chain have no idea whether this is a real demand. But what it will actually feel like, kind of pulled all the way back through to them, will be a 200% increase in demand, so from two to six. But now the issue is, and that, that was sort of driving the stock right into that um, kind of February, March, April last year period. And what happened though is that, that once the mother realises she can get the product, you know, there was no real stoppages into sort of fast-moving consumer goods into China, she would just go back to keeping two tins in her stash. So if you think about her buying, it'll go from being up 200%, it'll just go to zero. Mm. She won't buy anything until she's used up the other four tins. So that feels like a, a 100% fall in demand. So you imagine times that by millions of mothers around China, and it's, it's pretty powerful. And the point is here, any product that is widely distributed, these abnormal inventory stocking and destocking cycles are really powerful. So that's kind of where we got to. And then if you think about it, many distribution channels in China, there's, there's always many layers in the chain. So almost all of those layers assumed the strong demand was going to continue, but it didn't. So we had you know, significant excess inventory build up at the large wholesale customers in Australia. Um, so those are the large corporate Daigu, um, but the supermarkets in Australia, then the smaller corporate Daigu, um, the Aussie gift stores at the ports on the e-commerce platforms, um, at the Chinese distributors and at the mother and baby stores, and obviously, as we said, eventually in the mother's pantry as well. So all of those layers had excess inventory because they thought this demand, this really abnormally strong demand was going to continue, and they all ordered more and more and more. So you had you know, many, many pockets of excess inventory. Oh, right. And presumably A2 has also stepped up its production to meet what it thinks is going to be the demand as well? Correct. And everyone, all of its customers, all the way down that channel are ordering more products because they're feeling this really powerful demand. And it's hard to put a finger on it initially. I mean, the A2 certainly did call out, you know, way back in sort of February last year that there might be some pantry stocking going on. Sales were up a third as it sold more infant formula into China and improved liquid milk sales in Australia and the United States. Chief Executive Jeff Babbage says the coronavirus has added uncertainty and some disruption to its China business, but sales of infant formula are holding up. Demand for our product, which clearly is not a discretionary product, uh, but demand for our product has increased. That's clearly in consequence that um, you know our product has been in demand and we've been able to supply product through the various channels of distribution. But no one understood how much. And then, you know, the, the company didn't diagnose and deal with that problem rapidly enough. So that, that was absolutely critical. What a fascinating example of, um, of this phenomenon. I mean, does this phenomenon have, have like a name? It does. It, I mean, it seems like the sort of thing that wouldn't be that uncommon. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, it's, it's inventory stocking cycle. So it happens from time to time, but it's important to, to note it's abnormal inventory stocking and destocking. So COVID was... An extreme event, and we saw that extreme ramp in, in you know product being hoarded effectively by people. I used to um, work up in in Hong Kong, and I used to trade in commodities, and we we see this all the time in iron ore and copper, etc. Is if people think the price is going up of a product, and it, there's going to be a shortage all through that chain, people will hold more copper or more iron ore. So 
in more commoditized products, those stocking cycles are quite regular in that they really, really do impact the price and, frankly, demand out the back end. So has A2 really just fallen victim to a cruel twist of fate here? Have they mismanaged how this has kind of panned out as well? I mean, Yeah, I definitely think the latter. Um, it, it, was, it was probably exacerbated by several factors. So no doubt COVID impeded the free flow of goods via the smaller Daigu and the fact there was no normal influx of new students in Australia to push the product. So that was definitely happening and that was you know, a cruel twist of fate, no doubt. But then... There was that kind of series of missteps where the, it wasn't diagnosed and dealt with properly, and that was that was probably exacerbated by the fact that the new CEO had not yet arrived, mm. and the architect of the Daigu strategy was on his way out, and and finally um, systems around measuring inventory at the kind of myriad levels of that distribution chain were ina- inadequate. So systems were inadequate. They had a big management reshuffle going on anyway, and because of that. Or alongside that, they didn't diagnose the problem and they didn't fix the inventory problem. Everything in this area is always going to be somewhat up in the air, right? There is no sort of golden rule or method to to success. But you know, if you were to say these are the sort of lessons, or the if if you were to view this as kind of a fable, what what would you say that the sort of takeaway from it is at this point in time? Yeah, no, I think there's a few, and, and we've definitely learned a lot. So they had an exceptional track record, no doubt about it, but. It was too short. So they'd managed through difficulty before, but they hadn't been around that long. So that was the first one. Secondly, they, you know, when you're selling a single hero product into that op- opaque Chinese consumer market, I just don't think the, um, the barriers to entry around your business are that wide. And then the Daigu channel, so a, a, an unusual um, distribution channel, while it can be very powerful, you've got to keep an eye on it because it can end up, end up being your greatest weakness and then I guess even helicopter out a bit further than that investors should never be afraid to change their mind you know when the story changes so stay humble stay nimble and Mr Marcus just waiting out there to teach us all another lesson basically <laughs> As of Tuesday A2 Milk's share price sits at $5.80 that's a far cry from its peak of $21.13 in July 2020 but it's still a lot better than the 72 cents it was trading at September 2015. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is public interest journalism funded by New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can download us free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Fisher Funds' Sam Dickey. Matewa. Wow.